It's time for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. Welcome to episode 106 of the Wayne's Comics Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. This week you're in for a real treat because I have a fun conversation with Michael Oming, creator of such good things as The Victories, Powers, and Mice Templar, among other good things. We talk a lot about the industry as well as his creations and how things are doing. We talk about Powers and what the movie is up to these days. And so there's a lot of good information that you'll pick up from this interview. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Then I have this week's preview, a 5 out of 5 for the fox and finally news and previews happens as always there's tons to get to so let's get on with the show Welcome to the podcast, Michael Oming, creator of such great things as the Victories and Powers and Mice Templar, among other great things. How are you doing today, Mike? Doing good, man. Thanks so much for having, having me on, Wayne. I really appreciate it's, it. It's good to talk with you because I'm such a big fan of your work and I enjoy all the, the stuff that you do. Why don't we go ahead and start out with the Victories, which is uh, doing pretty well in Dark Horse, as far as I can tell. Is the Victories ongoing now or is that still a miniseries? It's ongoing. The... Um uh, the first arc of it was a mini series, which concentrated largely on the this one character, um, Faustus. And um, while I was doing that mini series, I was planting seeds. If we got to do a, a larger story, which would center, well, not so much center on the other characters, but get to showcase the other characters as well. Um, the very first arc of the the original series, original mini series, is very uh, centered on, on Faustus. Um, but then the new ongoing series, which starts with Transhuman, um, it. Uh, you know, it gets to see a lot more of all of the other characters and, and, and the world that I started to set up in the, uh, the first miniseries. Mm-hmm. What's interesting to me is that because this transhuman was a storyline, I kind of thought this was another miniseries coming along. Yeah, so I'm glad to hear it. It's tricky to market that kind of stuff. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. people like to kind of know the length of a story, but then also by, by doing that, you know, it can leave the impression that it's a miniseries, especially because the first series was a miniseries. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I can totally understand people's confusion, but hopefully they'll notice, like, in my hands, uh, my editor, Scott Alley, at Dark Horse Lives, um, uh, just down the street from me, so every now and then he'll drop off the the, na- the latest issue. So um, this latest issue is issue six. So by six and seven, people will should sink in really well that it's not a, a mini series anymore. <laughs> okay, that'll be good because I'd like people to know that because Victories is kind of an adult Justice League is yeah. what I like about it. It does you still you, you know you throw some of the words that you don't never you'll never hear them in Justice League, but it's kind of fun to see Thanks that. Shenanigans, words like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you've also got more adult. And I think more interesting stories, like more relatable to real life Mm. as to what's going on, which I really like. I read an interview with you once, and you talked about the fact that you wanted to introduce real life more instead of just punch fests to have something that was a little more human and a little more relatable. Yeah, I mean, I think think the book is is more adult, but I don't think it's adult in the typical sense of just, you know, cursing and some nudity. Um, But, you know, we just deal with more adult things um you know younger people don't really worry too much about these sort of uh lifelong hang-ups that happen to you as you get older you know like uh whether it's anxiety or body issues or um uh addiction and alcoholism those are all big parts of of the victories um so that's what i like to think of as adults as opposed to you know just naked stuff and guts yeah. out. 
<laughs> well, I mean, I mean, adult in a good way. Yeah. You know, not 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 in the uh, uh, stores you go into that you have to wear a raincoat. Well, they're good too. I mean, there's a there's a time and place for everything. You know, there's there's yeah. time and place for Archie comics. There's a time and a place for, you know, uh, stuff like the Victories. Mm-hmm. Well, I like it, and I like the take to it. I have to admit, as a Batman fan, Faustus is the one that appeals to me the most. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's he was not my you know even though these are kind of visually iconic characters. Um, he was not my take on Batman. Um, mm-hmm. uh, some of the other characters are sort of like Metatron kind of is, I mean, they start out as these kind of iconic characters, um, to make larger comments on them. Uh, not as deeply as we do in powers, but, um, you know, it's kind of give, give the, the, the viewer, the reader, um, a head start as they're reading the comic. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, Faust is definitely sort of an amalgamation between characters like, well, they're very different, but you know, it's like kind of a cross between Batman and Spider-Man, you know, visually and kind of on the surface of his character. Um, but they're definitely not one or the other. Right. Right. I, I enjoy that. I I like mixes of characters, and I like to see different kinds of things. So for me, I'm a big believer in variety, and when I get to read your books, there's always something new. I haven't seen this stuff before, <laughs> and I really like that because, you know, I have read certain stories – I'm getting to a place now where I can start to count in hundreds where some of the stories I, I've read. And your books don't do that, and I really like that about them, especially the victories. It's very much it, – it almost have a, has a very dark feel, and yet there's a lot of adventure and things to that. And so I really like the mix that you're providing in that book. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I'm not trying to in any way jettison you know, the, you know, the, the uh, foundation of, of superhero comics with this. You know? So it is definitely still a superhero book. I mean, you got guys and girls in tights beating – each other up and you know going on weird adventures and things explode and stuff like that so i I want all that stuff i love all that stuff um Mm -hmm. but i just do think that we need i i would like to see more of just a a variation of the kind of things that we do i mean a lot of superhero books even really really well done superhero books um are very soap opera like um which i don't have a problem with but the problem with soap operas is you well i do have a problem with the problem with soap operas is you can't just start you can't just pick one up i mean you have to um, get into it week after week to begin to understand what's happening. So a lot of times the, the mainstream superhero books I'll, I'll, I'll pick up and it's like a tell us well written and it's beautifully drawn, but I, you know, there's a billion characters on one page and I can't tell what's going on. And I'll pick up the second issue of that. And I still can't tell what's going on. And I pick up the third issue of it and I start to figure out what's going on, but then I'm thrown for a loop by this other subplot that came out at a, you know, wherever that was built on before. Um, so I want something that people can, you know, uh, relate to, and it's hard to relate to comics. It's hard to relate to superhero comics unless you're, you know, um, indoctrinated into that world already. Well, you're not the only one that finds this confusing because I noticed in more and more books, and, and especially in Marvel, I keep seeing these previously in mm-hmm. summaries at the at the beginning, so people can know what in the heck happened. It's a good Some idea because artists- they really are because they are aware of that. You know, they're not blind to that fact, and they they want to be able to you know embrace new readers and stuff. Um, it's not you know from the outside. Sometimes we could say, oh, it's so insulated. They don't know what they're doing. Blah blah blah. They totally know what they're doing, um, and they're very uh, conscious of the where conscious of the fact that it's hard for new people to hop on to X-Men or something. Um, of the new mainstream books, um, uh, Brian, Brian Bendis's, um, all new X-Men I've really been enjoying cause it is a kind of a start over, you know, and, and it goes back and grabs some of the old classic characters and stuff. So for me, that's been really great. But every time there's a plot or a character that, you know, depends on stuff that happened in, you know, in the mainstream Marvel universe, I, I'm, I'm kind of, I kind of gloss over because I'm lost on it. Um, mm-hmm. and it would take me to be, uh, you know, to be a reader of like a year to really, um, to understand all that and, and, and embrace that whole world. And it's just a little tough. Well, I always say that you have to read 30 years of X-Men to understand what's going on because <laughs> every one, every once in a while they'll pull this character out that we haven't seen in like two decades. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. And, and really that's, that's no different than when I was a kid. I mean, when I first started reading, um, X-Men and, and even Spider-Man con- well not so much Spider-Man because it was such a smaller world it's, it's a lot easier but I remember reading X-Men and New Mutants and um, you know things I'm complaining about are no different than it was then it was it was just as hard to pick up an issue of, of New Mutants and you know uh, first get a grasp on these characters and everything going on around them um, so uh, you know that's just part of the convention of, of, of the, the series and when I did Victories it wasn't so much to set out not do that and i'm sure victories is around for 15 20 years that will be a problem but (laughs) (laughs) um 
I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> well, that's where the ultimate line came from, and now they're struggling yeah. with the ultimate line and stuff. The, the the problem always is in comics is that people. What do you do with trade people who buy six issue things? And if you're some of us go habitually every week, and the the comics industry has to appeal to as many people as possible. Mm. And so what you're doing, I think, is a good thing. You're you're telling stories. But you don't necessarily have to do one-issue stories. But I imagine, as a also as a writer, you're going to eventually come around and do like a single-issue tale, yeah. based on a character or things like that. Because it's good to vary that, that kind of system up. Yeah, we started doing some backup stories in the victories. Uh, the next issue, issue six that comes out, has our first backup story. Uh, story. Um, mm. And it's a self-contained story. It's uh, drawn by Victor Santos, uh, my Templar, and uh, and I just and I wrote it specifically for him. And, uh, and it focuses on the sleeper character, so we get to see a little bit about like what's the deal with him and his old uh, magic cat thing and stuff. Um, so we get to do more of that with the, with the characters as we go along. And in the future, it would be really cool to do um, some uh, some standalone stories. But right now, a lot of them are revolving around sort of larger plot about the conspiracy stuff. But it's pretty. E- I think it's pretty easy to follow that because um, it's pretty linear. You know, there's not too much twists and turns in that end of the plot because again i want to keep it easy enough to follow because it's it's about the characters and not so much about you know um plot twists mm-hmm. well i have to say i find it easy to follow and i also wanted to say i mentioned this before we started recording is that i find your art so dynamic and and i think because you think visually you're also a great writer because things move along at a great pace we don't get huge bubbles with with words in them <laughs> covering whole pages and stuff which some people like to do I, I always like the action and the visual aspect of comics and i think because you're an artist you understand the reader more we're looking at this visually and eventually you got to do a little info dump but you know not all the time yeah. and I just think it's such a great thing. I just love how dynamic your yes. art is. I have a, I have so a, a general rule, and this is one of the fun things about um, drawing the story that I'm writing, is as I'm drawing it or laying it out, usually in the laying out stage, I can I can tell it's gotten too stagnant in a certain spot and go like, oh, you know, I've got like three pages of people talking on here. Um, can I turn this into an action scene? Or not necessarily an action scene, but can the characters be proactive during the scene? Mm-hmm. Um, it's one thing to have people talk about their emotions and w- who they are or, or whatever. And there's another thing to have that happen while there's uh, a visual story being told, a, a visual dynamic. Um, I do like people sitting around in a room and talking, um, mm-hmm. but, uh, it's more interesting to have them talking and loading up guns or talking and, you know, dealing with uh, a cat going crazy in the room at the same time or fighting a robot while they're talking about their personal problems. <laughs> Um, and when it comes to the, the art end of it, I'm always struggling to be more dynamic. Um, mm-hmm. I have a, a tendency to tell my stories very straightforward, um, almost like a play where things are moving more left to right than they are, you know, forward and back. So I'm always trying to push that harder because, uh, you know, look at amazing artists. Obviously, Jack Kirby is kind of the king of, of that sort of in-your-face stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see all, the, all these other great artists doing amazing angles and shots and varying perspectives that make it much more dynamic and i'm always struggling to to just work harder at that and, and i've been doing this for 20 years and i'm still trying it feels like i'm still learning well you know you your art reminds me of bruce tim on batman the animated mm-hmm. series yeah bruce tim was a huge influence influence on my work um bruce tim and mike mignola and alex toth those, those two are probably the strongest most consistent influences on my work um the bruce tim thing happened out of before I got interested in that sort of work, I was doing very line-oriented stuff. It was very detailed-oriented, and I was very influenced by Art Adams and Michael Golden and, and those kinds. Um, and there was a period in my life after my son was born, and um, to bring steady money in, um, I had to get like a regular job, which is really tough to balance that with drawing comics full-time when I was drawing this you know, really, really detailed style. So um, I was looking over my work, and I had done some samples for Batman Adventures. And as I was looking at it, it kind of clicked to me, like, oh, wow, the stuff that Bruce is doing really falls in line with Alex Toth's work, who I really, really loved. And I started to see that simple, cartoony, iconic kind of thing in just a much more clear voice suddenly. Um, And that also opened me up, oddly enough, to guys like John Buscema, whose work I'd always appreciated, but I'd never fully understood until, again, looking at it through a sort of Bruce Tim Alex Toth spectrum, 
seeing the simplicity of, of his figure work and his rendering and um, the contour lines and his composition in a panel, like all that started to, to come through. So that was one of the big reasons for uh, kind of switching styles. Part of it was economy, um, both financially and time-wise. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was just some growth. So it's kind of an example of how a, a bad thing being, you know, having to get a regular full-time job or part-time job or whatever, you know, pulling me away from comics was actually a very good thing because it helped me redefine my myself and the way I think about my work. Um, and then obviously it helped my career out a lot. Like uh, that's when things really took off the powers and Hammer of the Gods and, and that kind of stuff. Now there's a lot of stuff that you've done now to, to wrap up victories. As far as you're getting issue number six, so we're mm-hmm. doing well and, and we expect this to go for hopefully a long time. Yeah, thank you. Like. <laughs> because man, I, I, it's such a wonderful book and I, I give it to everybody I can trying to get them to read it because it's such a nice, uh, twist on, on how things go in other comic companies and I, I like something different. So, oh, boy, I, I hope it lasts a long time. Horses is doing, Nate. They're, they're reaching out into more of the superhero universe. Um, but they're also, while they're, they're looking to, to grab a lot of that, they're also maintaining their integrity as a company and wanting to tell superheroes in a different, in a different light. Mm-hmm. Um, so victories isn't necessarily indicative of the type of books they're doing, but I think it's, it's a, it's a, it's a good idea that they're, they really are looking to do something, um, different. Mm-hmm. Now I've got to ask you though, cause a lot of comic companies steer away from superheroes. You've got. DC and Marvel, and they sort of have the, the you know, the, 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 they wrap that all kind of up, and everybody looks at it and says, well, we can't do superheroes because DC and Marvel has it. Did that kind of intimidate you when you started Victories, or was that, was that a challenge to you? How did you, when you, you started making Victories happen in your head, was it, were you looking forward to it, or was it something that we, that worried you a little? How did this happen? Uh, it didn't worry me. I, I guess the only thing I was kind of, I guess so, it, it sort of did worry me. What worried me was, <laughs> It's a superhero book, so anybody who's not into superheroes or doesn't want to see superheroes from me because they're used to seeing like mythology or or uh, um, powers, noir stuff, like this doesn't appeal to them. And if you are a superhero fan, um, when you first look at this, this isn't your typical book, and it definitely is not a Marvel and DC book, so it won't necessarily appeal to you. So it's that sort of idea that, like, well, who is the audience? Who is the weird superhero audience? <laughs> <laughs> um, the weird dark superhero stuff you know um, so that worried me a little bit but you know we found our audience so mm-hmm. I think the idea is you take that stuff into consideration but you really really have to just do what makes you happy and if, if at that point that was the type of book that I that I want to do so it's really important to to go forward with that not to go ahead and do something like like Nick's the super aspect of it and try and do, you know do something else um, mm-hmm. you do what makes you happy Mm-hmm. You measure the the risk and reward, and then you go forward. Mm-hmm. Now, I gotta ask you one thing because you were mentioning this backup story is going to be drawn by someone else. As an artist writer, I, it, do you have one that you prefer? Or do you prefer to do them both at the same time? Right now, I'm preferring to do them both at the same time, and I think most mm-hmm. of my career don't work from now on. I'm going to work on. I'm going to completely write and draw myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoy. I really enjoy um, teaming up with other writers. Uh, I love the working together with somebody else, um, the collaboration thing. Um, I have a lot of fun with. Um, but there's a there's a freedom in writing and drawing a story for myself that I can't get in just writing for somebody else or just drawing for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So okay. <laughs> I don't know. I like drawing. I, I don't know. Drawing is easier than writing for me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, it's probably easier for me to. It's probably. I think I can draw a book almost as fast as I could write a book. Oh, wow. And that's more, not so much because I'm so fast, but because I'm, I really slow down as a writer. <laughs> well, you're a visual think I have a feeling, uh, mm. you know, there's some people who don't think visually, they think in, in, in text and, and I'm a visual thinker too. Although that doesn't make me, I'm no good of an artist. I'm nowhere anywhere near art, but, uh, I think that, that, that visual thinkers, often make better comic writers as well mm. as artists. Yeah, I mean, Brian Bendis, who I've worked with for a long time, was an artist uh, long before he was a writer, you know, and he kind of made that transition into writing, so he always thinks in very visual terms. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm afraid I probably think in too visual of a term, yeah. because sometimes, this is what slows me down a lot, is in my scripts, I will write, um, I'll write something out 
incorrectly. Like the, the grammar is wrong or the spelling is wrong. But in my head, as I'm reading it, it's read correctly because in my mind's eye, it is how I intended it to be. And then, you know, when it's actually on the paper, it, you know, I can't see that I completely wrote even, even missing words, you know, like there, there won't be certain key words in there. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, like is or not, you know, mm-hmm. oh. uh, like an adverb. <laughs> oh well, that's when a good editor comes in handy. Yeah, yeah. and that's one of the reasons I've always also like working with other people. But um, you know, my wife Taki Soma and some other friends will help me out with scripts because I do have that problem. I just I think so visually that it's the way I intended it to be in my head. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does it? How does it feel though when you write a story for someone else that you're? Are you thinking about their style of art when you're writing it for them, like you are for that backup story? Uh, not so much. Well, yeah, it's not so much the style, but I'm thinking about what they do well or, or don't do well. You know, mm-hmm. um, when I was writing for Victor Santos, uh, I just knew he would do all that superhero stuff really good. Um, I'm not sure what I would think Victor wouldn't do well because he think he does everything well. Um, but uh, you definitely play to a writer's strengths if you can if you can figure them out and not play to the weaknesses, um, which is why I never draw like big traffic scenes for myself or too many <laughs> poor scenes. <laughs> um, yeah. But thanks to SketchUp, I can now draw um, <laughs> um, traffic scenes a little bit easier. That's good. That's good. Now, why don't we move into Ko? That that I was so interested in that book because it came out hardcover and had to do with young girls. Which book you is know, this? It, the, the, it, didn't you do the hardcover book that came out from Marvel or or, or Icon? Takeo? Oh, Takeo, that's yeah, how it's pronounced. I need a pronunciation guy <laughs> for this kind of stuff because, you know, I, I never know how to pronounce things. But t- it's Takeo, and I like the story because it was different because it had – and again, you had your dynamic style going, so it was easy to, to, to watch. But I like the fact that you actually focused on younger girls. I don't see much of that in comics. And yeah. so for me, that was really something different, and I, I really enjoy that. Thanks. Are there, are there any more of them going to be coming out of that? Uh, we're going to do a, fine, a full collection of the t- first two volumes. Um, well, I think our first trade paper – well, the second trade paperback has to actually come out, and then we'll kind of collect all of it together. I mean, we might do more stories in the future. And it all, it all kind of came out out of uh, Olivia, the main character, is Olivia Bendis, Brian Bendis' daughter. Oh. And, uh, Taki is my wife, Taki. Um, and when Olivia first met Taki, she just kind of had the girl crush thing. And like they were like, <laughs> just had this special connection. She was never as like a big sister and stuff. Mm-hmm. And she literally made the story up. And then Brian, you know, added to it and stuff. And then the three of us kind of worked on it together. Um, and so it was a big family affair, which is great because we also had other sort of family and extended family members in there. Uh, my son makes an appearance, and there's uh, um, Kelly Sue is one of the main characters in the book. Uh, and yeah, it is pretty much an all-female char- uh, um, cast. Uh, and one of the females being really young is also kind of unheard of. I don't know of any other main characters, female characters, who are, you know, 10 running around in, a, in, in comics. Well, it's great fun to read because it's something special. I just was interested that you started out with hardcovers. Yeah, the very first one, we just went. We just want to try. Like, what would it be like to just do it just directly to to trade? Because I mean, the 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 industry uh, field is constantly changing. You know, whether it's digital comics or the trade comics and stuff. And we just want to see, well, how how would this flow? What would be the deal with it? And um, I think ultimately, the the industry is still strong with individual issues going into trade and one of the reasons is just because of the time on the shelf um when we released it and everybody talked about it it was great but it was really just about a week and a half that it was on people's minds um and one of the great things about the floppies is they come out every month so that every month people are talking about it up until the release so it it helps keep it fresh on people's minds um as well as the sort of the format questions, because even though I think we released it for only ten dollars, it was still you know try something out for ten dollars versus try something out for three ninety nine or two ninety nine, whatever it is. Um, yeah, so that's why we started that way, and then the second um, miniseries goes to miniseries, and then the trade first. Mm-hmm. Now, this that whole series screams of animated show to me. <laughs> when- when I read that, I just feel like this ought to be on like Cartoon Network or Disney yeah. XD or one of those. And I just wondered, had had you all considered that with those books, or what was up? Uh, that? You know, that's something we realized as we're doing it for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it would be great. I mean, so far, I don't think we've been approached by anybody about it. Oh, nuts! But it's also a tough market because it would be 
an action superhero story that's stars two that stars two girls. Mm-hmm. So you know, if you look at the way cartoons are structured on television, and, and I don't mm-hmm. think it's because of any preconceived ideas of like let's only make pony stuff for girls and you know action stuff for boys. But I mean, you can talk to the ten-year-old kids. That's kind of what they're like. I mean, they 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 naturally you know go in those directions of stuff. And that's why Adventure Time is very boy-oriented, even though it it does attract everybody. Um, but I mean, it's a kid with fucked-up teeth with a sword, you know, beating the crap out of stuff, and then losing its temper every now and then. That's a boy's story, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, so you know, it'd be tricky. Where would where would Takio fall like that? Takio is kind of like it's kind of like Ben Ten, but with girls instead, you know. But yeah, I, I, you know, so maybe that's the thing. I don't know. It, and again, it's thinking outside of the box isn't always the um, easiest way to go about selling things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Plus, yeah. we don't do it for the purpose of selling it. You know, we do it because you know, it was a story that we wanted to tell, and then you hope mm-hmm. for the best after that. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of television, Powers, a series mm-hmm. that probably you're best known for, yeah. is you guys had a, a – the, the FX Network picked up that back in 2011, right? Yeah, <laughs> are well, they? Uh, film deals with that going back to 2001 or something like really? that. Really? Wow. So I mean, we've just been in constant development with the show uh, or movie in whatever form it's been, um, and it is still alive and well. Um, we shot a pilot that um, we weren't 100 percent happy with, so we decided to go back to the uh, woodwork with it. And um, the pilot wasn't bad at all. It was actually good. I think with more work, it could have kept on going, but. I think it just hadn't found its real voice yet. Um, hence the last two years and more production. <laughs> um, and, you know, uh, Charlie Houston is an amazing writer. He's, um, heading, he's heading up the writing staff now and he is the main writer on it. He's a fan of power. So he's read all the material, all of it, all of the trades, um, not just like the first one or two. Mm-hmm. He understands the comic book genre. You know, mm-hmm. he, he's written Moon Knight and several other things from Marvel and DC uh, and he's an accomplished novelist now. So, you know, this is a guy who knows the whole spectrum of the field, which is really important when it comes to taking uh, a mixed genre show, basically a cop show and a superhero show, and then mixing it onto network television. It's a really, really tricky thing to do. And, and watching the, the problems in developing over the years has been an interesting, very eye-opening experience of, like, well, how difficult this, this actually is to translate onto film and television. Mm-hmm. Well, I have to say, a lot of people I know who get optioned, and I've interviewed several for this podcast, and when the time comes and they actually get started making things, you know, a producer will come in, you know, does power, does, uh, does a retro girl actually have to be a girl? Can't yeah. that be a, a, a <laughs> man? Can't she just be a normal person? What if she was a cop instead? <laughs> Yeah, that's right. And Christian Walker, why does he have to be so big? Why can't he be kind of small? Yeah. You know. Well, one of and my you- experiences, and, and I would definitely suggest this as a piece of advice to anybody out there who's being optioned for something. If your material, if your work that, that has been optioned is more than, say you have more than you know two story arcs done, mm-hmm. um, you've already done all the thinking on this universe. Changing it at this point is just going to be a mess, and it's going to be confusing and conflicting, and you have to restart. Everybody has to restart brand new rules all over again that they won't fully understand. Um, and that's the thing with Powers is we were so well-developed by our third year that anybody doing anything outside of Powers, it wasn't like it was like – it wasn't so much that it wasn't true to the form, but now I had all kinds of problems by getting away from the original, the, you know, the original um, storyline or concept. The further away you got from it, the more you focused on the wrong things, the more screwed up everything got because mm-hmm. we had such a well-thought-out universe. Mm-hmm. Um, it's different when, say – so I did a book called uh, Six. It was a 48-page one-shot book, and it was optioned by, by Fox. And um, mm-hmm. they filmed a, a pilot for it, and uh, the pilot was pretty good. Um, the thing that kind of destroyed it was the, uh, the writer strike. Um, but what happened was it was one issue, 48 pages. It was a sketch of an idea. Um, so the pilot for that was well more thought, way more thought out than the comic was, and it was a, it was a deeper, richer world because I had a starting place to go from. Whereas mm-hmm. Powers, or if you have your own project out there that's that's well developed, it's detrimental to the to the material to try and change things like that, uh, mm-hmm. or try to tr- change focus on the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what we found over the years is the closer you were to the source material, the better the work was mm-hmm. with Powers anyway. See, I can't understand. You you read this thing, you like it, you option it, and then you change it. 
Yeah. I, I don't I don't understand that whole process. Most of the producers see just a, a, a shell of what they want and then they wanna, you know, make it into something else because of prior experience with other successes. Mm-hmm. And they're not measuring the success of what this material originally was successful on. They're measuring against what their their last hit was successful on. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why these things happen. And it doesn't just happen to comics, it happens to film all the time or mm-hmm. you know, to, to novels. Mm-hmm. Um so I think the intentions are always, well, I don't know. The intentions are always about making money, and, and that's that's not a criticism. That's you know, it's a big business. It has to be. It has to be success. Um, yeah, but, it's uh, called show business for a reason. That's the thing. Exactly. I don't have any problems with that either. Also, even yeah. if they came up with another version of Powers that was brilliant um, and not exactly Powers, I'm still the mindset of this is this is my comic and this is their film kind of thing you know mm-hmm. uh the source material is always there and it's never touched it's never sullied by what happened i mean look at the tank girl movie and look at tank girl the comic it's you know 20 something years later it's alive and well the comic is and it's been mm-hmm. unsullied by the, the film with anything that's just kind of a cute anecdote to us mm-hmm. you know <laughs> yeah um, yeah so well i hope it comes to pass i'd still like to see it and uh mm-hmm. do you have any idea when this might start happening again or is this we just handed in uh, another draft of the script um Mm -hmm. and unfortunately the holidays are coming up so it might be a little while before you know we can announce anything interesting um Mm -hmm. other than to say it's just still alive and well we're just doing new drafts and Mm -hmm. i know a bunch of these interviews we've done keep saying oh yeah we just handed a new draft it's not the same new draft these are new new drafts (laughs) okay (laughs) i think over the last year there's probably been four or five drafts they're not all completely different from each other um Mm -hmm. they're usually it's it's like well this character motivation or this crime subplot is not clear enough or that part is overbearing or this character is now unlikable or or something um and that's because you know charlie specifically is always pushing the boundaries he's he's never happy with what he could do that's enough he wants to do something better than the last thing he did or you know i've seen he doesn't want to do a character you've seen before he wants to push everything um Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so it's a lot of, it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope it happens because I'd like to see it. I think as long as <laughs> your involvement with it actually makes me happy because I, as sometimes it just seems to leave the creator behind. And then when I see it, I go, that's funny. That no, doesn't look at all like what it was. Close, closely attached to this. I mean, Brian, mm-hmm. even for the, the, the last version of the pilot, the mm-hmm. first version of the pilot, I hope it's not the last. I hope it's the first version. <laughs> um, we went out to Chicago for the filming, and we were there. And we got to discuss things with the characters. And, uh, Jason Patrick, um, as Walker, really threw himself into the role, and so did uh, Lucy Punch as Dina. She did an amazing job um, becoming a character that, especially physically, she was nothing like Dina. Um, you know, she's a tall, slender girl, and, and Dina is a short girl and stuff. And well, I think that's just. Um, you know, a characteristic that is not that important to the character. Like, so what if she's tall and the character short or whatever? It does, it does matter when, you know, um, it changes the, the, the dynamics between the characters in the comic, you know, Walker's six, five and he's huge. And then Dina's mm-hmm. little girl, yet her, her personality is so overbearing. It's bigger and stronger than Walker. That's one of the things that makes them interesting. Mm-hmm. So then you take that and you put it on the film and you have, you know, Dina being the same height or slightly taller even than um, than Walker, that changes everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then those those actors have to really become the part in their own way. Um, and they were doing a really good job at that. Uh, it, was, it was really interesting and very flattering to see. Mm-hmm. And uh, whoever these new actors are going to be when we when we uh, cast a new pilot, mm-hmm. um, they're going to bring their own thing to the to the characters. But now we're so much closer to the source material than ever before. Um, I think it's only be more important that the characters stand a certain way and they have a mm-hmm. physical relationship that's similar to what's happening in the comics. And um, it's great to be that close to the material. Uh, we're definitely a part of this. Whereas other deals, and I've been, I've had several other um, uh, properties option. It's basically, you know, if I'm lucky, I'll look at the script, but I don't really have that much to say in it. And whereas here, it's like we get the scripts and we make notes and I'll implement those notes if they make sense, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, which always feels good to feel like you've contributed to something, you know, that's as awesome as one of Charlie Houston's scripts. Maybe mm-hmm. it's a teeny, teeny, tiny thing. <laughs> well, you're making me even more anxious to see the power that <laughs> hits the screen. Because as long as you guys are in, have something to do with it, I am just convinced it's going to be great stuff because Powers oh, has been great stuff as a comic. I'm, I'm convinced of- too. I mean, that's, that's the thing. It's, it's been a little frustrating how long it's taken, but at the same time, if we ha- hadn't been pushed 
this hard and this long in the script, it wouldn't be nearly as good as it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's that thing of it's been uh, a frustrating ride, but man, the material is just so good now. And so I, I'm not scared of it going to air. You know, I don't feel like we're going to have to make any apologies or, you know, hope that things improve as it's on air. Like it's going to be when it goes air, it's going to be, you know, in full sprint. Um, and that's because of all the, the um, work we put behind it. Mm-hmm. Can't wait. Can't wait. <laughs> Sounds like great fun. Now, how about the comic? How's the comic doing these days? Uh, we're doing good. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Powers, uh, the Bureau has been out since the beginning of in February. Mm-hmm. Um, we've done better in past years than getting getting it out pretty much on a, on a monthly schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, I say pretty much because we, we haven't been, but we're, <laughs> you know, for us it's pretty good. I think we got like eight or nine issues out this year. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and that was while we're doing, uh, besides our, our other projects, Brian also did uh, an issue two of, of Takio at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... So that's so that's going strong. I forget what issue is coming out now. I think uh, nine will be coming out soon. Um, and uh, we've been having a, always just been having a great time on that. I mean, good. It's crazy. We've been doing it for thirteen years, and you know, it still feels fresh. I, I still feel like there's a lot of material we haven't touched on or covered. Mm-hmm. So, and artistically, it's always a challenge. I'm, I'm still learning and growing and mm-hmm. um, pushing myself on it and. Brian and I, you know, we live in the same town now. It's it's really great to, you know, kind of powwow on this stuff together. Like, you know, I've been co-writing with him for a while, and, and that's been great. It's the discussing stories and then drawing them and having him, you know, remix everything and, and come up with new dialogue. And um, we're just having the, the best of times on it. And uh, we also have a, a secret project that's unannounced yet that we'll be um, launching next year, which... Um, if I remember our conversation correctly, we'll just be doing them. We're going to be doing them at the same time. Oh, wow. Yeah, so we're not going to be putting powers down uh, for this other project. Uh, mm-hmm. But we're excited to do fresh material, too. Well, you know, good stuff is worth the wait. So, you know, if you guys put out eight or nine issues a year, if you're doing what you're happy with. And, yeah, you know, happy. that's the thing. You're going to be happy creators. Yeah, and and for us as readers, we enjoy it. I think we can really pick up that there's a lot of energy involved, and in, even in powers this long into it. And I have to say, there's not a lot of books that have lasted 13 years that are still a lot of energy to it. So I have to commend you on that. That's great stuff. Thanks. It, it is. It does feel good because you know a lot of my create, my favorite creator books either haven't gone this long or if they have, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good stuff. I didn't know you were involved in Mice Templar. That was a surprise to me when I discovered that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Brian. Glass and I started my simpler back in I think it launched in 2005 or 2006 and uh, yeah we had actually had it around quite longer than that and I think it first appeared in a uh, charity book for, down at the Baltimore Comic Con um, ah. maybe like 2003 or something 2004 mm-hmm. um, so we worked on that we did the first the uh, the first arc together and after the second arc was when I went to go work for Valve, which is a video game company. Oh. And um, I just didn't have time at that point to continue to 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 do uh, my simpler full time. So that's when we got Victor Santos on board. Ah. Um. So um, from that point on, Victor took over the art chores, and I still split covers with him. And uh, you know, Brian and I worked on a story together pretty loosely, and, and Brian has just been basically running the ship ever since. Oh, wow. I do want to say one thing. It was that I'm a big fan of David Peterson's Mouse Guard. Yeah. And at first I was kind of offended because they came out around the same time. I thought, yeah. why are they mimicking Mouse Guard? But then Mr. Peterson told me, no, no, they're not mimicking me. They're doing all kinds of stuff on their own. So I was like, oh, man, I'll have to check this out then. Yeah, it was kind of the same. We were working on it at the same time separately. You know, I guess it was somewhere in the id and stuff. And, yeah, we get along yeah. perfectly well with Right, right. You have the secret project, and I won't press you on it because I don't want to get anybody in trouble. But are there other things that you're working on that we should be knowing about? Uh, let me see. Taki, my wife Taki and I, we did a, a, um, a series together um, a couple years ago called Rapture for Dark Horse, um, which was a superhero tragic love story um, with an apocalyptic uh, background. And we've been talking about teaming up together on something new as well. Mm. Um, so that's something that will probably start later on. Uh, well, I guess it's the end of this year, pretty much. So in comic book time, October is pretty much the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so next year, yeah, we're going to start on, on another, uh, creator owned thing together. Oh, uh, cool. So it's, it's been all like powers, my Templar, the victories and, um, the beginnings of this, uh, secret project with Brian and I. 
Okay. See, now you got me interested. I got to pay attention to the, <laughs> the the news releases to find out what the secret project is. I'm sure it's going to be great stuff. Well, luckily with stuff like um, you know Twitter and Tumblr, it's it's so much easier to keep track of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Very good. Well, it's good talking with you, Mike, and I wish you continued success because, man, everything has been so much fun that we get to read and enjoy not only your art but your writing. So, man, oh, I just so hope much. you keep it up, and, man, we'll keep buying your product as long as you're making it. So, great, <laughs> great. stuff. Great. Thanks a lot, man. I really, really appreciate it. It was a great interview. Thank you. examples to shake them out of apathy and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne as a man from flesh and blood I can be ignored I can be destroyed but as a symbol get the latest from the comics universe news interviews previews and reviews listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics podcast so you can keep reading your comics now at Majorspoilers.com faster than a speeding bullet To leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird! It's a plane! It's Wayne's Comic Review. A strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men, who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands. And now, another exciting episode. I've been kind of mixing my reviews in with the upcoming books or in the news in the last couple of weeks, but this week I really want to point out a very successful book that's just launched and I think it's worthy of your attention. And that's the Fox number one from Red Circle Comics, which is part of Archie Comics. I had a chance to review it and I wrote a preview and it's a very strong book, kind of fun, resembling the old fun superheroes of the day. Now the Fox, of course, has been around a time or two before and he's very much of a Batman-like character, but he's more realistic in the sense that he's not a millionaire and so he doesn't have a lot of money to solve his problems. When we come along, this is the son of the original Fox and he's married and he's got a child. He's a photographer and he has a nasty habit of getting into trouble. And on many levels, he reminds me of Peter Parker more than Bruce Wayne. For example, he has trouble with all these women who are bad for him, which Peter Parker is always famous for. He's also got a name with two Ps in it. His secret identity is Paul Patton, although he's a junior, and that reminds me very much of Peter Parker. He's also a photojournalist, which Peter Parker has been for many a time. He has many crazy villains, and he does wear a dark costume. Well, Venom actually does that now, but Spidey did wear that for a while. Since he came before Spider-Man, was Mr. Stan Lee actually inspired by the Fox? I guess we'll never know, but uh, I would say check out this original character. Now, Mark Wade does an excellent job with the script. He's working with Dan Haspiel's plot and his art, and lots of good things are going on with it. It's an adventure comic that's full of action and surprises, as well as a terrific blend of word and heart that leaps off the page and into our imagination. The Fox is off to a powerful start for both kids and adults. So I can't wait for issue number two. I have to give five out of five stars to the Fox number one. And by the way, it is sold out. I'm sure more will be coming around, but you can probably buy the digital version online. So please be sure to catch the Fox. I always like Mark Wade's stuff and hope you will too. time for the latest news. I hope everybody had a nice spooky Halloween. A lot of stores in the last week or so have been having this Comic Fest, which is kind of a spinoff of the first Saturday in May when we give out free comic books and free comic book day. From what I understand, it went pretty well. More and more people are doing it as the years go on. I think last year was the first year and this year was the second. So we'll see if more of them pick that up. But apparently it went pretty well, at least in the area where I'm from, around the Washington, D.C. area. 
Related to that is a very interesting little news story that made me kind of laugh. A school actually banned superhero costumes for Halloween. And it reads this way. It says, an American primary school banned its pupils from dressing up as their favorite superheroes for Halloween to stop the outfits from scaring younger children. The elementary school warned parents about the dangers of their children impersonating Batman, Superman, Wolverine, Spider-Man, and many others. And they also extended the band of the Power Rangers and Ninja Turtles for good measure. I find that kind of interesting. You know, it's we're so terrified that somebody's actually going to be scared that we can't do that. But to be honest, they also banned witches, ghosts, monsters, or anything that might be scared to a young child. So what in the world did they get to dress up as? So I'm not sure. They, they don't say what they did, but basically it was something that couldn't be scary, which is exactly what Halloween's all about. So I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by this whole business, and I have to think that probably went over with a big flat plug. Because if you, if you can't have uh, action heroes and you can't have anything that's at least slightly scaring, I, I don't see how that ever went out very well. But that's what they did. Speaking of Superman and Batman, the film has begun shooting, and they're doing some early scenes at Kent Farm. They say the official shooting doesn't start for a couple more months, but there's a very busy pre-production period going on. They've already filmed the football scene, and now websites report that they've descended on Yorkville, Illinois, where the Kent Farm scenes were filmed for Man of Steel. People are saying it might be jumping to conclusions that this is even related to Snyder's superhero film team-up, as the Yorkville patch admits that no one actually knows what movie it is that's being filmed there. But, uh, I don't know, it's kind of a, too big of a coincidence for me. It's probably not anything crucial being filmed, since uh, Cavill and Affleck are off doing other movies at this time. But we'll see. I think that's kind of an interesting shift. And that's the news for this week. And let's move into this week's previews for books coming out on November 6th, on Wednesday. Of all things, Michael Avon Oming's Victories number 6 will be out. What perfect timing. After I just got to talk with him about the book, and that'll be fun book, so be sure to pick that up. And that's from Dark Horse, of course. And from DC Comics, we get Action Comics number 25, part of the Zero Year. Batman Black and White number 3, which I always like. There's a trade paperback of Night of the Owls from Batman, which I also enjoy. Batman Superman number 5. Batwing number 25, also Zero Year. There's apparently a lot of those out this week. Then we get DC Comics Essentials Justice League number 1 for the New 52 for a whole dollar. And also Detective Comics, which is also Zero Year for $3.99, and that's issue number 25. Earth 2, number 17, Forever Evil, number 3, Green Arrow 25, which is also tied into Zero Year. How about that? Green Lantern 25, Justice League of America Hardcover, Volume 1, for about $25. That's also New 52. You get The Movement, number 6. We get Stormwatch 25, Superman Unchained, number 4, Swamp Thing 25, and Trillium, number 4, which from Mr. Lemire is great stuff. And from DC, finally, Trinity of Sin, The Phantom Stranger, number 13. In the collectibles, there's four action figures, Bane, Batman, Black Mask, and Joker, all from the Arkham Origins video game. We get to IDW. We have Doctor Who Prisoners of Time, number 10. We're getting close to the end of that. There's also a Jeff Smith Bone Great Cow Race Artist Edition hardcover. That should be great fun. There's also Star Trek Ongoing Hardcover, Volume 1, Red Label Edition. And then we get into Image Comics, where we find East of West, number 7, Fatal 18, the wonderful Ghosted, number 5. There's a trade paperback of Invincible Universe for $16.99. And also one for Manhattan Projects, Volume 3. And Morning Glories, number 34, is out. And we also get a lunchbox for The Walking Dead. Does that come with brains in it? There's also shirts, one is uh, women's and men and there's one called saviors there's another one called hilltop and another one for kingdom so you're gonna like to wear those i'm sure from marvel comics we get emerald city of oz number four one of my very favorite things i always like those what i call the fringe comics and that's one of them speaking of oz there's also the road to oz graphic novel trade paperback for 16.99 i like those because i never actually got to read those novels when i was younger and it's so great to be able to read them in comic format 
It's the return of Painkiller Jane in Price of Freedom number one by Paul Miotti. And I used to like the TV show. I was one of those who really liked it. And so I'm looking forward to this book coming out. It should be great fun. Mr. Paul Miotti, working with Mr. Gray, whoever he does, he always tells a good story. So I'm looking forward to that. Other comics companies that are putting good things out, there's this 47 Ronin graphic novel. I went to see Ender's Game and I liked it real well. And I'm just kind of interested that the, I saw a trailer for the movie and this graphic novel's for $14.95, so that'll be worth getting. There's also an Airboy G8 graphic novel for $9.99. That's not bad at all. I'm looking forward to picking that up. There's also a trade paperback collecting Bionic Man versus the Bionic Woman from Dynamite. And then we get to Garfield number 19 for the kids. I like to read that too. I always enjoyed that strip. There's a Grim trade paperback volume one for $19.99 based on the NBC TV show. Lord of Mars number four. Mark Way Green Hornet number seven. Quantum and Woody number five. A lot of people really like that book from Valiant. That's a good book. We get The Shadow Now, issue number two. Looking forward to that. I really like the first issue a lot. Lone Ranger 19. And unfortunately, after the holiday, <laughs> it's too late. I hate when this happens. Steampunk Halloween number one. That'll be a, uh, about almost a week late, so I'm sorry to see that. But we'll still be in the mood after that, so that'll be fine. Those are the books that'll be out this week. And that's a wrap for this week's episode. Be back next week when there'll be plenty more to talk about in the comics universes. But until then, keep reading your comics. Joker. Over? Why, my dear delusional dark knight, it hasn't even begun. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.